So before the podcast starts this week, uh, I just wanted to say a few words about Rick Free. Um, if you never interacted with Rick Free, uh, you, you kind of missed out. He was a, a really sharp guy. Um, I would not say that we always got along. Um, in fact, there were certain points where we you know, had some disagreements, we argued, uh, there was a little bit of tension, but I never thought it was because he was a bad person. I always just knew that it was because he felt really strongly about the industry and, and the direction he wanted the, the piercing community and the APP to go. And, um, you know, eventually we would just kind of hammer it out, you know, and, and, and things would get done. So, uh, Rick passed away of lung cancer last Friday, October 20th, 2017. Um, I'm sure he would want me to tell everyone out there that if you smoke, um, you should really not smoke because, uh, you know, that that's just what happens, you know, sometimes uh, it, it just catches up with you. Uh, Rick was a, a really great body piercer. Uh, he was a, a, an educator in the industry. Um, he, he did a lot for a lot of people, and he did a lot of it uh, really selflessly. He left a, a really big footprint on the industry. Um, I, I first became aware of Rick on BME back in the, the IM days. Uh, his screen name was Jaeger Rick, and uh, he had some forums on his page that were, um, you know, uh, ask a piercer kind of thing, professionals sharing information. And that's what eventually would grow into the Body Modification Learning Forum on Facebook. Uh, so, you know, that's really made an enormous impact on our industry. You know, when I, when I talk to piercers, especially newer piercers, um, almost all of them have some sort of interaction with the, the Body Modification Learning Forum. And, uh, you know, Rick is, is really one of the people that um, you would need to, to thank for that. Uh, Rick was on the APP Board of Directors. He got some uh, some pretty big accomplishments done. I, I'd say one of the larger ones was um, taking a pretty boring class at conference, uh, Bloodborne Pathogens, and actually uh, helping to create the online curriculum for the APP. So now if you want to take a, a Bloodborne Pathogen class, you can take one online uh, in, in your house um, for a couple of bucks. It's pretty inexpensive, and it's it's definitely the, the best industry-specific bloodborne pathogen class you can, you can take. Um, a lot of people are going to miss him, personally and, and professionally. Uh, I think the industry will be worse off without him. Um, hopefully... There, there are some people that can kind of take up the mantle and uh, make him proud and, and kind of carry on with the, the direction that he wanted the, the, uh, the body piercing industry to go. Um, I would just like to say uh, my condolences to his friends and his family and the staff at 23rd Street Body Piercing in Oklahoma City. And uh, safe journey, Rick. We'll see you on the other side. The battle of wizards and warriors continues with iron swords. The evil wizard Malkil will take the shape of the earth, wind, water, and fire. Farewell! The fate of the world is in your hands! You're listening to the Piercing Wizard Podcast, and I'm your host, Ryan Willette. I'm a professional body piercer with 20 years experience. I travel around the world teaching technique and safety classes, and I'm a member of the Association of Professional Piercers. Listen in as I talk to my friends and colleagues about our industry so we can all stay sharp. Okay, so 
I don't think Rick would want me to be a Debbie Downer, so let's get the show started. Um, I just got back from uh, a bunch of travel. I did an APP board meeting in Atlanta, and then I went to Camp APP. Uh, it was a, a great experience. You know, it, it's really nice to just kind of hang out with your colleagues and, you know, not have to stress about rushing off to a class or going to an expo or something like that. There were some classes, but it was laid back. You know, there were people in like hammocks in the classroom just kind of hanging out. And, uh, you know, everybody was just playing, playing games and going to the, the lake and riding around in that damn boat with Paul. Um, it was good. I got some really good interviews. Um, I talked to April Thomas and Brian Thomas from Born This Way. I talked to Christina Blossy from Piercing Experience. Uh, I, I got a, an interview with my guest this week, um, Bethra Sumsky. Bethra is um, not to like throw around the term uh, loosely, but like like a titan in the industry. Like you know, she has done pretty much every position within the APP, uh, secretary and president. Uh, you know, she's instructed classes and and she's helped to to kind of guide curriculum uh lots of different things you know um was a a major force behind the conferences in in europe when we were doing them in amsterdam she still stays very active in the international community uh she was uh really inspirational to the uk app group um, helping them kind of get off their feet uh you know she's a regular at, at bmx so Kind of important for me to interview her at camp, you know, um, she she did really like all of it, you know, I mean, she had volunteers and she had help, but it's like, it's her baby, it's her project camp, and I, I thought, you know, if there was only one person I was going to be able to interview there, it would have to be her. Uh, I wouldn't say controversy followed her, but um, uh, subtle conflicts. So there were plenty of people out there who would say, you know, Bethra is, is the nemesis, the roadblock or, or whatever. And, uh, you know, I, I think Bethra would, would look at a lot of those interactions and, and say, well, you know, maybe it's a little bit more personal than professional, maybe just kind of like clash of personalities or something like that. Uh, I've, I've certainly had my clashes with, with her in the, the past as, as mild as they were and as much as neither of us care about them today. But I don't think anybody could deny how much work she has done for the APP and, and how much progress she has made within the APP. So, um, you know, we, we sat down and we chatted about how she got started in the industry, um, how she uh, learned under Elaine Angel, uh, starting her own studio, and just kind of talking about different stuff related to the industry today. You know, our, our pet peeves, our shared pet peeves of when piercers focus so much on like the cool trendy stuff online, you know, no tools and this and that when they're not really thinking about like versatility, like are you a, a better piercer because you're not using tools um, or are you just more of a show-off piercer because you're not using tools? Uh, we talk about her, uh, I, I guess you could call it legacy, uh, her history of all the different things she's done within the APP and and how people kind of perceive her. Uh, and uh, really, like, a big question that I, I wanted to ask her and, and talk about was if she felt like she gets kind of a, an unfair shake uh, as a woman in the industry. If, um, you know, if, if a man could be, you know, equally uh, strong-willed and, and just be called, uh, you know, take charge. But Bethra kind of gets the, uh, the, the bitch label sometimes from people. And I, I think a lot of that has to do with 
with sexism. So uh, that was a big thing I wanted to, to talk to her about. Um, going forward on the show, I am not going to edit out swears uh, anymore. I, I think it's kind of pointless. Um, some of the people I've talked to have said, like, why do you bother bleeping, you know, the F word or, or shit or something like that? Because, you know, it's it's adults and it's an adult-oriented program. Um, I don't want it to get too far into the blue category. So if there are episodes in the future, like if I invite uh, Paul Rayner back on, maybe I'll bleep out some of those F-bombs. But Otherwise, I'm going to leave in uh, all the little nasty bits for you. So um, let's get into this week's interview with Bethra Sumsky. Uh, my name is Bethra Sumsky. I have a piercing and permanent cosmetic studio in Atlanta, Georgia, that's named Virtue and Vice. And then I have a tattoo and body piercing studio in Athens, Georgia, called Pain and Wonder. How long have you had your studios? I've had the Atlanta studio since 1995. Uh, it's definitely evolved a lot in that time, and I've had the tattoo shop since 2000. Yeah. Um, how, how did you get into the industry? Like, where did you learn? Were you apprenticed, or did you kind of, like, learn as you went? Dumb luck is how right. I got in. <clears throat> I lived in Albuquerque, um, and I was waitressing at a little restaurant. It's kind of a greasy spoon called... The Village Inn Pancake House on Central. I think it was at Central in San Mateo. And next door to that shop at the time, so this would have been the late 80s. And uh, the shop next door was Route 66 Fine Line. Mm -hmm. And a gentleman came from California to work there named Cap Sumsky. And I met him and we got together and he was tattooing there and then by the time he left Albuquerque we were married and so we opened the shop in Atlanta and I was apprenticing to tattoo in starting in 1994 and uh, some little distance into that tattoo apprenticeship we we had the studio it was up and running and we just weren't finding a piercer and we had a lot of people coming in looking for piercings so it actually kind of made sense for me to start piercing uh it gave us an income in the studio it gave me personally an income and it just sort of made the most sense so i reached out to elaine she was in new orleans by that time and i said you know what do i do she'd come to visit already so she kind of knew the shop set up and i said well what do i do if i wanted to learn to pierce what would you suggest that i do and she said well you have a lot of common sense and that's not so common. Mm -hmm. So how about go check out the gauntlet uh, prep seminars? The New York version or was it in California? <clears throat> At the time they were running in California and New York. <clears throat> the easiest ones for, for me were the ones in New York. So I got up there in September of 95 and she said, go to those and then come to me. And, um, and I'll help you at least with the preliminaries. So... Uh, so I did the gauntlet stuff, and then I went and hung out with Elaine for a little while, and then she helped me kind of by remote. Like, I would contact her, and she sort of gave me enough of the basics. So I'm not quite self-taught, but I'm not quite apprenticed either. Right, had you a, had guidance, I but had a, very, a lot of it was self-driven. <clears throat> I had a very, very supportive mentor. Yeah. Uh, and, and I called her any time there was a consideration. And, and to be fair, I called her, I still call her. You know what I mean? Like if, if there's a th something that I'm 
you know, wondering how to approach it or I'll just get her feedback as a colleague. Now. Well, I, I would imagine but, the two of you really grew more of a friendship rather mm-hmm, than yeah. just a work relationship Absolutely. after that long of a period of time. And, and at some point I was able to give back. You know, I, I, uh, I went and did a guest spot. Um, one of the few guest spots I've ever done was at Rings of Desire and oh, I had nightmares for months before that. I kept dreaming that I was somehow piercing in the front of the studio and every time I looked down, my gloves would disappear. That yeah. was like the piercer nightmare. Yeah. Like suddenly I'd look yeah. down doing it. The, the, ver- the piercer version of being naked oh, at school. Oh, it's terrible. No gloves, no gloves. And so I got there and I had a great time. But one of the things that I noticed was that they didn't have a portfolio. And because I came in from the tattoo side, you had a portfolio and it wasn't necessarily because you needed people to find the tattoo they wanted in your portfolio it was an instruction tool to show what kind of work you were doing yeah and so for piercing i had that too so that i could show clients what i was talking about when i w- we were discussing placement yeah if they didn't know the names of things right like and even if they they sort of knew the name it was if if we needed to do an alternate placement I needed to be able to explain the whys and the whats with an image, and that helped. It was an instructional tool for clients, so I had a pretty extensive one. Um, and they didn't have any, and they were doing crazy high volume. And, and I said, you know, why don't you have a portfolio? And she said, well, we don't really need one. And I said, well, you know, this is why we have a portfolio, and it, would you be willing to let me build you one? And they, I built one much like the one that I had, images they sent me, and then I just put them all in with the labels. I just sort of, or, or I built the book and sent it to them and they put the images in. That's right. what it was. But it was a book based, based on what I did um, layout wise. And they used that same book till the day that shop closed for Katrina. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So that was really cool. Like I was able Does to Elaine still have that somewhere? Who knows? Because uh, that, that's something that should be in like the body piercing archive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Who know? I have no idea. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, that was something I was able to get back. And other things like if I had learned a new trace setup, I would tell her. And one of the things that I learned from her that was probably really fundamentally important was every time I went to visit her or she came and did a guest spot. She came and did a bunch of guest spots and she would like, I would line up my first apadravia or my first playing. And she would she would coach me through it. So so she was there for a lot of my firsts. So that was really important. But also every time she came, she had a different setup, and it was an evolution from the one she had before. Okay. So what that taught me was not how to build a tray. It was about always improving your tray. Mm-hmm. And so that was really fundamental, important thing that she taught me that still serves me. So right. Don't always, sit on your laurels and always try right, to like, like what is, tweak it a little. How can you make it a little bit better? And there, there was a point where I was able to make some of those suggestions to her based on what we were changing. I would imagine you would have to be in that mindset if you, if you have a studio that's open for 20 plus years. Yeah. You can't do the same thing you do today that you did in 1995 without getting kind of surpassed by the industry around you. So you have to kind of stay... I don't think that, and that's one way of viewing it, but I think that that's a very competitive way of viewing it. Yeah. It isn't necessarily like, I don't enjoy spending a lot of energy competing with others. Not so much what, competing, but... What I want to, I, I don't care if the industry surpa- surpasses me. What right. I care about is that I surpass my old version of myself. Right. Could give a shit. You're always I, evolving yeah, and growing. Like, like seriously, like comparing the inside my inner dialogue to people's outer dialogue because most of what people try and not get taken over by is some bullshit on the internet right right that doesn't really mean that much to me yeah what i want to know is that the decisions i'm making to move forward are studied 
they're they're thoughtful and and they have a benefit to the right. clients and sometimes sometimes that's actually not changing with the times because a lot of people make changes that are ahead on, of their times too sometimes they're behind though sometimes right. they're they're unnecessary changes yeah. based on the fact that all the kids on the internet are making that decision right so right. so instead of saying does this change serve my clients does it improve my professional presentation does it improve comfort for the client none of that is even addressed it's like well this is what everybody's doing now and if i don't want the industry to overtake right. me i better hurry up and they're do all it. using this jewelry or right. this skin it's, prep and, and or that this is not, whatever to me that is not a valid argument yeah. and it's not a valid reason to change something now being a better version of what you what you are and where you're going that's a valid reason mm -hmm. to change something so so i'm not necessarily worrying about the industry overtaking myself because i think a lot of times that's more of a lemming factor than right. a really thinking factor but it's the results Right. So, so is there a compelling reason based on actual thought, analysis of the, of the options? Is there a compelling reason to change something I'm doing? If there is, then I can do it based on maybe new materials that are available mm. or new, new uh, setups, new whatever. Products come out all the time, and some of them are really useful, and some of them are kind of whatever. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and again, it's not about necessarily jumping onto the bandwagon or not it's based on okay what is this really doing not necessarily what what are all the kids right cool what, kids are, what are the doing? results you get right from right right so as a result there are times when um, I'm probably accused of maybe being old school but I think a lot of people associate that with sort of this lack of outdated out right this outdated thing but it's and not. that's a mistake that's right. a mistake because really um, you know, I I actually move forward really really quickly when it it's time to do that. Yeah, you know what I mean. I think one one of the mistakes that newer piercers get into is thinking that like okay, um, you know, people who have been in the game for a long time, you know, they're doing freehand and they're doing this and tool toolless and disposable and blah blah blah, blah but they don't have any fundamentals with them. So like oh, they, yeah. they don't know what a nostril screw is or how to bend it. They don't know like oh, what, it's a big pet peeve at my shop. What happens if yeah. you need a hemostat? What happens if you need a clamp yeah. and you don't know how to use it? You know right. what happens if you don't know how to use a receiving tube? Or it's like leaving half of the tools on the table. Right. It's like oh, I'm just gonna I I'm gonna learn this thing, but I'm gonna just discard half of the tools that could make my job better. Yeah. I think because that's... Because, like, some piercer on the right, internet no, won't it's, think I'm it's elite. Just, right. 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 Yeah. And, and it really... That, I think, is one of the biggest disservice to clients mm -hmm. that is happening yeah, now. Yeah, because it can be tougher on the clients, oh, yeah. but you'll feel cooler, but, right. like, is the client happier yeah. for it? Do, do they yeah. care that you can, like, magically make this needle appear right. and right. that you are doing it all I free try to tell people that, like, do what's most comfortable for you, but most comfortable for the clients yeah. also. If you're if you're doing some, like, ninja technique, but the client's, like, groaning, but it would be maybe yeah. easier if you use forceps, yeah. why are you using forceps? Or, or worse yet, anatomy that should ever ever like right. like there are just so many different types of anatomy mm -hmm. that if you can't look at a piece of anatomy and say this you know like a good piercer to me has 10 different ways to do one thing yeah and what is the right thing to do for this right. person's anatomy? It's like having a deck of cards. Right. It's like, do you want to only have one card right. in your deck? Right. Or do you want to have the yeah. full deck? Oh, it's all aces and, right. and, and right. in spades. I mean, yeah. that's the thing. is, And that's what a lot of piercers do now. Like, to me, I, I want to know all of the best ways to do something mm -hmm. in the situation. But, but all of that also requires a lot of 
you know, analytics and, and analytical yeah. thought and, yeah. and like, why Problem am I solving. doing this? Why am, and, and people tend to um, be more comfortable in black and white. Mm-hmm. They are, this is the right way, this is the wrong way. If I'm doing it the right way, then no one will be mad at me and I'll, I'll be a good person and a good piercer and all of this stuff. But really, lots of things fall into the gray area. You know what I mean? Like like people who owe a, this concept of the perfectly uncrooked straight piercing. Mm-hmm. And what I tell clients is, you know, when they come in, oh, are you going to do a straight piercing? Well, straight is relative to anatomy. Right, right. You well, know, so I, wanna, about, I, I would certainly want to look straight, right, but that so, doesn't always mean straight. And sometimes looking straight isn't the best thing either. Yeah, like, you know, sep- you, like wonky septums. Right. Like, does it look good or does it look perfectly right. mathematically and, straight to your and, face? And and really, a lot of that is about good communication with the client. Mm-hmm. Like, look, you have a yeah. bro- your nose has been broken five times and yeah. your septum is deviated. And how about, I'm going to make your piercing look really great. Yeah. But if you have an issue with OCD... Mm-hmm. Then maybe this don't. might not be the right one. Yeah, <laughs> this is realistic not the expectations. For you. Yeah, like, yeah, like and, yeah. and let's have that conversation up up front. Um, and if we have that conversation up front, then we're both going to walk out of the piercing room happy. Mm-hmm. I'm going to know I gave the person the best possible piercing they could have been, that could have been performed by human hands. Yeah, and they they know that they also got that, mm-hmm. but their re- their expectation is going to be realistic. Right. So you know. It, that whole like you know the piercers who say they never did a crooked septum oh, no, i'm no. like oh yeah, yeah, yeah. wow you're a liar yeah liar, I mean, like, liar, even, liar. even the best piercer in the world like they're still gonna blow piercings from and, time and, to time and then what you know too like that's also relative mm-hmm. you know what i mean that's relative to anatomy a lot of times yeah. like like oh so it doesn't look necessarily aesthetically how you'd like it to be if it can be done considerably better than you have done it yeah that's kind of blowing it which you can also just you know redo it yeah in the way that you feel it would be aesthetically preferred but also you know sometimes it's at that point the best it's going to be you know and and if you you've got some experience under your belt you know and you can't you also can't be afraid of that i mean Mm -hmm. i know that there are piercers who are afraid to do a particular piercing just because I can't I can't understand there's so many like piercers who have been working for like less than I can I can get it to a point if you're like just out of an apprenticeship I could get that but the piercers that are like oh I don't even do septums or tongues or this oh "Oh, I don't do them and it's like there are some piercings where I can say like well like I don't do a princess Albertina because that's that's a a totally different thing but yeah if if if, if someone like you was like you know oh I don't do navels I'd be like what What's the matter with Yeah, that? like it's Seriously. like you're a piercer, right? Like you got to do tongues, you got to oh, do yeah. septums, you got to do like And and I think I, I think too I've seen people with a lot of experience don't do it out of ego. Mm-hmm. Like I I, right. I I was talking to a European piercer. I just don't do nostrils anymore and I thought, "Ugh. You don't like uh, to make money, huh?" That's really boring. I, and the thing is to me like if the nostril is no longer interesting to you, I personally whether I'm I'm dealing with a set of genitals or a fancy ear project or whatever or a nostril it's a body part it's a piercing it's a human being on the other side of that i don't have this bit different value judgment for a nostril piercing than cool scale. a triangle piercing or something no like, piercing is interesting to me it's the interaction with the client like right, why they right. want it and what they get out of it I, why I, they pick the jewelry they pick man i yeah. have some fun piercings like yeah. like you want to talk about a fun set of piercings perfectly spaced 
perfectly angled double rings on a nostril. Mm. If anything is going to make my right. night, right? holy... Then you just be like, nailed it. Yeah, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. That is, there is such a sense of satisfaction when you see those rings exactly layer mm-hmm. as the nostril goes backward. Right, right. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. so that is neat to me. Yeah, you know, and yeah, people that forego that, like, there's, there's more satisfaction in, like... Precision, no, like no pun intended, but like, there's more like satisfaction in that than like doing some crazy like this to this industrial yeah, with gold yeah, and da da da. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just all how you value it too. You know, like I still get a kick out of a lot of things. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And uh, and that definitely hasn't changed. And and again, it goes back to how you know, if you can do something absolutely the best, and it's maybe different a different technique or you know I mean I remember one time I was doing a hood and this piercer had come to me years before years before and she had had kind of a crummy apprenticeship and she had been taught to do VCHs with a forcep that must have been comfortable I don't know right mm. so I she I retrained her to do them with the receiving tube and then I had this one client and she just had very unusual anatomy and that popped into my head. And I thought she had the perfect anatomy and tissue for a forcep? For a forcep. Wow. For a forcep. And it blew my mind. I thought, okay, that is the correct way right. to do this piercing. Right. right. So I marked her on the inside, which she had the anatomy to do that, mm-hmm. marked her on the outside lined it up in a forcep and pierced her bottom up to avoid the- but see that's the thing it about versatility like, is like, younger piercers now yeah they might not even own forceps right and i thought any and it was it didn't hurt anymore you know what would have really hurt is trying to roll that right that into a receiving tube receiving tube yeah. around or do it some other kind of mm-hmm. way that wasn't enough as if it was efficient yeah. it was fast mm-hmm. and it was exactly the right thing yeah you know what i mean and yet that technique would have been considered sort of non-mainstream or yeah. not and it certainly wasn't a technique I would have trained someone right because it's on. not the everyday right yeah. but the fact that I had ever even heard of it being done mm-hmm. snapped into my head at that right. moment and I was like but you oh. had that card in your deck right yeah right and you yeah. should never not you know and I have a bunch of different cards in my deck for that piercing mm-hmm. I can do like bottom up through a blank I can do top down through a blank I yeah. can blah blah I mean you know and sometimes just to mix it up for myself you know, so because I'm I'm a skilled enough piercer, I'll do something different just to challenge myself. Yeah. Like, I'm pretty sure this will work, and I'm confident that this person's, you know, not going to suffer in any mm-hmm. kind of way and get it all lined up and do it. I mean, I do a lot of septums freehand, too, so yeah. you don't really need anything That's to great do, experimentation, you know, like, though, because there have been certain times where I've, I've seen people get awesome results with a technique that I'm not comfortable with. Right, And it's like right. you have to you have to experiment sometimes yeah. to, to, to get yeah. that new card in your deck. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, fast forward a little bit, and, you know, you, you did the, the guest spot at Brings a Desire. Mm-hmm. When did you start getting involved with the APP? A long time before that. Yeah? So, um... The first, I was piercing about a year at the time, and Elaine and I, it was the first APP conference with classes, and it was in Orlando. Okay. And she and I decided to go together for mutual protection, because it was really scary. Yeah. And um, I've been involved ever since. Yeah. Um, I remember I got onto an elevator, and Makayla was there. Makayla, I've always really liked Makayla, but... um, 
I can lovingly refer to her as charm free. Okay. She was um, very stern. Yeah, she was charm free. Okay. And and I I I recognize it because I'm often also to lacking in a little charm. Like so, I get it. I can be a little bit um, brusque with mm. people. If that's the word. Cunty also another one. <laughs> uh, but anyway, I'm working on it. But she was definitely that. And and um, I remember. I got on the. I was so excited. I got on the elevator and I said, "I want to. I want to join the organization." She just goes, "Bet you do." Ooh, catty. <laughs> I was just like, "Oh goodness." Yeah. yeah. But I put my application in, yeah. and, and eventually uh, got accepted, and Elaine did too, and and we just like started, you know, and and I, I had this other uh, friend called Dr. Jack, and Dr. Jack was already involved in the organization had done some gauntlet seminars and um what i didn't even remember at the time i have a lot of interactions with people where i'm particularly direct and honest but then i don't think about it again Mm -hmm. that happens actually really a lot um but he had come into my shop and asked about uh learning to pierce and he was a, a doctor and I had talked to him about, you know, learning proper skills and that being a doctor wasn't going to ensure that you were going to have that. And I showed him around my studio and did not think another thing about it. And I show up to APP and he's telling this story. Now, I don't recognize him or remember this in any way in this moment. Okay. He's telling this story and he goes, yeah, I was in this tattoo shop and I was talking to this nice lady and it was the most beautiful tattoo shop I'd ever seen. It was better than a lot of medical offices. And she, she directed me to the gauntlet because that's where she had been. And, and he looks up and he goes, and it was her. <laughs> it was her shop. And I, I just sort of froze. And he told that story in every single anatomy class he taught for the next 10 years about how I had gotten him involved. And he had had sort of an epiphany when he went to Gauntlet. Like, they didn't let him cross-contaminate, which he had not really a big comprehension of. So he was really very much a fixture. And he and I were friends. I was in touch with him a lot. And at some point, the board was beginning to deteriorate. And he strongly suggested to Gaudi Elias, who was the president at the time, that he bring me in as the secretary to try and help get things on track. Because he did was you, pretty did you have sure. more than one period as secretary, or was it mm-hmm. a continuous? This was my first first okay. period. So, okay. so they appointed me as secretary, and the first thing I did was initiate actual elections. The first elections. What what year would you guess this was around? 98, 97, 98. end of ninety seven, ninety eight. So, so subsequently, I was elected. I was elected into office, and then we elected the rest of the. We had two rounds of elections, and and. Uh, um, so that first fully elected board was completely done and in place in by 1998. Okay. Um, it was things. It was the organization was definitely on the verge of collapse at that time. So it definitely kind of, you know, we didn't have a contract for an event, and so at that time it was very much. You did a lot of everything if you were involved. Like, it was a, really a full-time job. Yeah, it seems like everybody and, had to be a jack-of-all-trades Oh, yeah, to it, be was, it was a very different picture than it was now. And so I continued as secretary, and then I, for three years, and then I was president for three years. Mm-hmm. And then I was off for three years, then I was secretary for, I think, another seven after that. Yeah. I mean, and things evolved. Um, I've 
I started the conference committee. That was sort of a big thing when I came back. What what point was it when it, you did the, the conferences in Amsterdam? That was, oh, okay. So becoming president, I... I had that epiphany. I have a lot of epiphanies in weird places. Yeah. Even like for camp, mm-hmm. like in a bathtub or waking up. It was similar to Just that. Just like inspiration, a, a spark. It was, I was like, oh, I had an aha moment. I had an aha moment about Europe. And um, they, we had allies in Europe. We had a lot of people and they needed support. Okay, so we, we decided to do an event. I organized the event in Amsterdam. And when we went back the second year, the Euro had gone up a lot so when we first went the europe the euro and the dollar were almost on par and then when we went back the second year the euro had gone way up and it between that and a couple of other factors economically we knew we were going to lose our asses on that second event so so we really had to like okay so are we are we an organization that has to make a lot of money or are we doing this for outreach so what we we knew we were going to lose money on that event a lot in fact it was a really probably one of my rougher times with the organization because i that sense of personal failure when you're like oh, oh my god i've organized an event that lost us all this money yeah you know yeah. And, and and just the, the terror kind of attached to that do we need to continue this in a quieter place yeah i think we so can maybe. just move okay pause okay so uh amsterdam okay so amsterdam <clears throat> the second amsterdam being the big loss, Amsterdam. Yeah. And going into it, we knew we weren't going to be back. Um, we knew we weren't going to be back. We knew we were going to have to tighten our belts as an association. Yeah. And... and what what year were you saying that this was? This was 2002. Okay. Um, and so we thought, what's our goal? Mm-hmm. Our goal is to bring education and organization and activism to Europe. Mm-hmm. So how do we make that happen when we're not coming back? Yeah. How do we how do we clone ourselves? How do we facilitate them being proactive? And I had really I had really put a lot of energy into understanding the European sensibility, which is understanding a lot of different con- countries. I mean, the culture is really yeah. wild. Like People are very different. Like the Swedish, they don't hug, they don't compliment each other, but there's mm-hmm. nudity on TV. Right. Like there's a, there's this weird, like, all of these different cultural norms coming together in one place. So Europe is, is in a lot of ways, much more complicated than the U.S. Because we are unified by a language. We have a similar common culture, even though regionally it can be different. Yeah. Europe is definitely way more fragmented. So, you know, by language, by culture, by so many things. So it was definitely a puzzle... And what we did before that last Amsterdam event was we <clears throat> we put out a a we as in me <laughs> we I this is the royal we most of these early days are the royal we yeah. like if it was gonna get done I was gonna do it and and um I contacted basically our whole previous list and said attendee list and mailing list and said look if you are now or have ever considered being involved in any form of association group, we would like to have a meeting with you. And we had a meeting the day before the event with all interested parties. In Amsterdam? Yeah, in Amsterdam. We would call them now stakeholders. So 
all interested parties, anyone that had any interest ever or was involved, because there were a handful of organizations that kind of weren't very active. There was a British organization that was mainly just a money, a money uh, classes kind of thing, like almost like a piercing school, Mm -hmm. but called an association to avoid paying, you know what I mean? Some weird thing. And then there was a German association and neither one of them were, were active in the same extent that we were active. But they, sh- but, but, but they showed up. Uh, the German one did. The okay. European one was, the, the UK one was very, very out of the loop. Um, so even though we reached out, you know, they just weren't into it. So uh, we had this meeting at the Bulldog, um, which was the hostel that we all stayed at we had a meeting in the little downstairs pool room and it, it was probably 25 30 people and out of that meeting came the swedish association mm-hmm. asap formed out of that meeting um a n- new german association formed out of that meeting uh it- the italians formed out of that meeting um who else a couple of British folks, but then their their thing kind of frazzled. It kind of uh, Annette and Mark did a thing for the UK, but it just kind of I think the time wasn't right. Annette actually comes to the the UK ATP seminars a, now. Such a darling human. Yeah, her and Mark, two yeah. of the most darling human beings. So 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 cool. I pierced Annette at a at a BMX one year. Really? She was so cute. I, I can't remember. I think it was her concha, her septum, and she says. She, she like, oh, is that all? <laughs> I was the, one of the nicest compliments of it. It's yeah. piercing another piercer in front of a room full of piercers. Oh, yeah. I think it's like the biggest, most traumatic double whammy. Yeah. A septum. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, yeah. Like, but she. I wouldn't even try that. She couldn't believe that it was so painless and easy. And she just, she was such a darling human. What a darling human being. So, yeah. So, um. I think they always had a heart for it. I just don't think the UK was ready for it, mm-hmm. you know, but they are now. So there's another association. Yeah. I did everything I could to help them out. I went to their first meeting um, before they were doing seminars and stuff. I, I try to support Yeah, Nicole, them. Nicole mentioned that as like, a, it was a really, yeah. it was a really big deal to them to have that kind of support. Oh, I know. And yeah. I traveled, I took a train and it was cold and <laughs> it was like so rainy there. And uh, yeah, so, you know, I've always sort of had that, Kind of, and then you know, after I stepped down, Alicia worked with the Mexicans to get their association. But it was all through that kind of concept of like we need to see these other associations. And then there was this this not as versions of us, but as organizations that can represent their own region or country right. that we can then support as yeah. as colleagues. So so with that came this idea that we could kind of lend or offer instructors from our events to their events and that's still exactly the, the format yeah you know people... i think that works because you know we don't know necessarily right. what the german right. market or the yeah. uk market so they means, can decide they, they can decide what right. adds value to them what curriculum adds value to them and they can borrow our so 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 we're there's reciprocity we're, we consider ourselves friendly organizations but we're not bogged down with any of their local regulations. Kind of sister organizations. Right, right, right. It yeah. makes, and we also changed the structure of the corporate membership. So now associate corporates are only other nonprofits, and we changed all the jewelry companies to sponsors. You know that was a really important thing. Like we want people who are can use the word member, that are doing similar things to what we're doing, supporting the mission. Right. 
as an, as nonprofits. So, so there was sort of a change in context there. Yeah. So that was, that was sort of the goal of that second Amsterdam. Yep. And I feel like it was wildly successful. So do you feel like that was probably not to use a word like as, as cliche as legacy, but do you feel like that was one of your, your proudest achievements for the, your presidency? No, no, no. I think like, you know, I'm, I am not an excellent self promoter. Mm-hmm. I, I am, I'm just not, but, uh, the legacy of my epiphanies, the legacy of the, the work, the relationships that I formed, the very strategic relationships that I formed, um, and the support that I've offered is going really strong worldwide. And so I think what I'm really proud of is that. And that doesn't have to be associated with my name. Yeah. So the things... Uh, the things that I've accomplished that nobody has a clue about, that's the proudest thing for me. Yeah. Well, so I, I know you don't like to toot your own horn, but I will, I will toot it a little bit for you. Um, but do you, do you feel like, uh, especially through your, I, I didn't know you much when you were president. I, I certainly went to conference and I certainly like knew who you were, but we never really had conversations until probably like the first time when like I came over to, to BMXNet and you were there. And that's when we actually started having conversations. And um, like I knew you more as in, in your second secretary term, basically. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you were doing all this work behind the scenes and, you know, you weren't trying to get like this like ego kind of like name recognition for things. But I think a lot of people don't necessarily give you the full amount of credit because if there was this kind of butting heads cultures thing, do, do you think that that has any sort of basis in sexism? Do you think that like a man in the same position would be seen as bold Absolutely. Whereas you were maybe seen as like, you know, bitchy kind yeah. of thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. For sure. Yeah. For sure. And in and, and, and really easy to see, like, I have male colleagues who have, say, for example, things that I really was held to the flame about that I'm continue to have sort of controversy around my name. I'm a, I'm a controversial figure. That's why a lot of people under... They minimize my uh, achievements yeah. and contributions right. because I'm a controversial figure. Right. Um, one of the, th- the reasons for that is that I'm female. And, and I know that because I've had male colleagues that had the same set of parameters that I was held to the fire for that never, ever got attacked like right. I got attacked. Right. The same things. Yeah. And, and, and as much as I love that person, I'd be standing there taking that heat going, well, this dude has the same story. Why is nobody, you know, trying to demolish his career? But they were sure as shit trying to do it to me. Right. Yeah. And, and, I, and I've held on to some of that stigma, that, that sort of outwardly imposed stigma of, you know, distrust. Like people tend to distrust me. They tend to, um, there's controversy around my name. Um, and, and I think that the hardest thing about that, and I definitely experienced this towards the the last, I came into my last long-term in office in a, in a cloud of controversy, and it never fully left. And I- As secretary or in a different position? In secre- as secretary, right. that last seven or eight years that I was secretary before I stepped down a couple years ago. Um, and there was this dynamic where I was always just 
sort of holding on. And, and even in the last board meeting that I had before the, before my resignation was finalized, I gave the organization a year. Mm -hmm. I worked really hard to delegate my duties to like the five other people. I remember like how, how much, okay. Most people, if they were going to like resign or step out of a position, they wouldn't bend over backwards to make sure that there was like this, not, oh, yeah. not seamless, but like, yeah. the, like no, a smooth I've, transition. It was the hardest year of work I ever did for right. the organization was yeah. delegating all my duties to yeah. other people. I'm sure. And fin- wrapping things up and all that. And that last board meeting, I remember another, a fellow board member and I had submitted a proposal that was sort of for projects ongoing that I wanted to do when I left. And she said, oh, I love the idea, but I don't like you. So okay. I'm going to vote now. Okay. And she hijacked the whole vote. Because she, not because she thought it was a wonderful idea, and she actually vocalized that. I don't like you. I don't trust you. So I, I'm, I'm not, unless someone else is, and it was like my baby. Mm-hmm. Unless someone else is going to do this, I'm, I don't think it should go through. And it, it was just, and, and I remember other board members were just sort of slack-jawed, like I, they couldn't believe she had done that. But she managed to hijack the vote. That must and, have been tough. And it was allowed to happen yeah even with someone going are is this really going to be allowed to happen yeah and i just thought fuck it and yeah. I, and I, and and the the thing you know the reason i stepped down was i the writing was on the wall and i thought you know i'm doing a really lot of work that people don't even get how hard i'm working for the organization yeah and it it feels like i'm just gonna get fired anytime I, and, I, and so I'm I'm gonna go ahead and think about what I want out of this situation and take my power back and that's right. what I did. Yeah, you know I, I I definitely fell into that trap. Like you know it's it's pretty obvious that you and I have had friction over the years, but it was never like a I hate this person, this person hates me. It was like you had your vision, I had my vision. If it didn't work out, then we both kind of be like, God damn it, I wish this person kind of saw it my way. Probably on both sides of it, and. Um, like even even though there were points where like I disagreed with the way you were doing things or you probably disagreed with like some of the ideas I had we never were like you know well this person's a piece of piece of shit because of it it was like right. well they have their idea of what the APP is and the direction it's going I have an idea and you know maybe we have different ideas on how to get there but we both are doing it because we love the APP you know and we're both trying to volunteer doing it and like even if we've had disagreements in the past like I really don't like someone trying to you know, minimize your contributions because like, aside from probably like Caitlin, you know, like I don't know people who have worked that hard for something where it's not profit driven. Like, you yeah. know, like you work. Oh, I lost money. Yeah. I mean, like you worked for, for years and, and it, it wasn't yeah. because you were making a million dollars off of it. Mm-mm. It was because you saw a direction laid out where like this would benefit the industry. This would benefit the organization. It's because I believe in it. Right. I believe in it. And so part of the process of, um, part of that process of retaking, and I really took stock. I took stock of what do I want? What are my, you know, like, and, and as much as I had that struggle with the organization, what I also had was very good core support. Mm -hmm. And I had some very good forward moving ideas for the organization still. And I've been very lucky that I have been handed the ability to do that. Like camp, I said, I have this epiphany. The first camp from the time I, I had that epiphany to the first camp was two years. Yeah. You know? And because uh, I couldn't really, it, stepping down and doing all that was way too much work to do camp two. So I was like, okay, it's just going to have to wait. And um, 
but the organization has supported me to a really big degree. Like I have yet to have, uh, I'll submit these proposals. They're really well thought out. I understand how the organization functions. I understand what's an appropriate request. But even when I think, oh my God, this request is a little bit of a stretch. And I end up with a lot of support for the from yeah. the organization. So at this point, like having sort of redefined for myself what I want out of it, stepping out of the positions that, that didn't serve me and situations that were somewhat soul crushing, um, which is really the reality. Like it was soul crushing dealing with that type of oppressive feeling. And now it's just like, oh, I can just put in the work and do things that are joyful. And, um, and there's this thing, like, I'm not a Christian. I just want to put that out there. But there is this uh, Bible passage and it's about um, people who are doing the right kind of works. And it, it was a quote saying, your yoke will be light. And so when my yoke, which is the burden of the work you're doing, becomes too heavy, you know it's the wrong burden, right? That makes sense. So that sticks in my head. And, and so what I have now with the organization is a very light yoke. Doesn't mean you're pulling less hard. Right, right. It means it's not a burden when yeah. you do it. So, and so I feel really happy about that. Well, I, I would too if I was in yeah. your position because, okay, so for the people listening, <clears throat> we're recording this in, in Georgia at Camp EPP, and now I'm kind of on the other side of the curtain that I always kind of saw. Like, I, I knew that, like, you know, you did work, committees do work, president, mm-hmm. you know, board members do work, but I didn't really know what it was. And now I was dumb enough to run for the board. Sorry, buddy. Yeah. Well, you know, whatever. Um, but I think it's good karma though. It, yeah, it is because now it's like, well, shit, now I have to like, yeah. I have to put in the work. But, mm-hmm. um, so when I, when I see these proposals, it's always like, you know, uh, you, you have this kind of like trepidation where, okay. So, um, for, for me, like seeing like the board side of it, uh, when people submit a proposal, which is like the structure of it, mm-hmm. you know, people, it's, this is the person that submits it. This is the suggestion for what they want to do and the logistics they need. Um, we're like, we really scrutinize it and we think like, yeah. well, is this person capable of it? Um, like, is it worth putting the, like the resources into it? And we, we question all these different things. And then every single time something has come up for camp, it's just like, uh, Bethra wants this. And it's just like, yeah, totally. It, because yeah, it's just like, it's awesome. Be, because we know that it's like, yeah. well, she wouldn't ask for it if she didn't know that she could do it kind of thing. Right, right, right. Yeah. And it, it's like, well... Uh, but I remember when, when camp was kind of like first pitched and stuff, I wasn't on the board, but I was like, mm-hmm. I was at a transitional meeting for it. Mm-hmm. And I remember them kind of saying like, well, she has this idea and she's willing to do all of it. Like we, yeah. it, it, she doesn't need well, a committee. Well, I wanted autonomy. Right. Cause I had already done all that group thing. Right. I, I was so fucking done with that. I was like, no, yeah. just let me. Exactly. I, I, if I need to delegate Because you had a clear vision. Yeah, just and let me do it. I'm sure you worked it all out in your mind yeah, or on paper or totally. whatever and knew like what you yeah. were asking for. Oh, yeah. But, um, you know, like I was pretty skeptical because it was like, well, that's a, that's a lot for one person. Even someone like you mm-hmm. who's like time tested uh, to do, like that's a lot, you know. And then I remember going into camp, I was like, oh, okay, something, something ridiculous is going to happen. Some like, you know, wrench in the gear of like something always throws off an APP project, you know? Right. Uh, and then like, I remember hearing all these people coming back from camp. It wasn't like during camp week, but it was like the week after where people were just like, it changed my life. It changed my life. It changed my career path. It changed the relationships I have in the industry Mm -hmm. and all this stuff. So I was like, okay, I can get, this is, this is pretty Mm -hmm. cool. And then the second year, like I still probably wasn't really planning on coming. And then you reached out and you were like, Hey, you should, you should come out as a board member and you should teach a class. And I was like, 
Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I really want to like hang out with people in the woods and I know. sing kumbaya it's a and weird stuff. Thing, right? Right. And then I yeah. came out and I was just like, oh shit, she was right. Yeah. Like it's really a special thing. Yeah. You know, and it, for me, it's like a nostalgic thing because I used to do sleepaway camp when I was right, a kid. Right, right, right. And it's it totally brings all that back. Yeah. But um, like seeing it firsthand and seeing like I like there are certain piercers that are here where I knew them from Facebook. Right. But I never talked right. to them. Right. Right. You know, no conversations. And, yeah, playing yeah. games with people and yeah. hanging out with people and watching movies or seeing people in their pajamas. Oh, yeah. Like, it change it yeah. changes who you are and it changes your interactions with people yep. forever, like, it diffuses, going forward. It diffuses a lot of animosity, too. And right. one of the reasons... I had a really clear vision on what that would be. I really... It was all... That's all very intentional. Yeah. And the reason... Of, one of the reasons for that is that I saw what it was like for people to dehumanize you on a large scale. Exactly. Because you're in a position of authority and they have attached all of these specific ideas to you, whether it's positive or negative, and then they decide you're that. You and know what only I mean? that. Yeah. And, and that and that you don't have and I see it happening, you know, people do it with a lot of different people in the industry. They're either elevating them to this huge status where they're, you know, horribly disappointed if they ever show any right. humanity, or they minimize them to, to some sort of a villain and there there just sort of isn't a lot of humanity that exists in either of those right. extremes. So I, I I felt like, you know, part of really being colleagues was starting to kind of move that perspective to the middle. Meeting someone as a person. Right. Not as and, a persona. And that that was never going to happen in Vegas. Yeah. Because it's just too busy. And so how do you make that happen? You take all of the stress out of the situation. And the internet. You yes, can't get internet and the out internet. Here. Yeah. And you make people, people put their phone down. Actually have to be in their bodies, right. Right. be present in the situation, separated from all of the social parameters and the clicks and the you know, and people still cluster obviously with their yeah. friends, but but still it's a very different thing. It's the 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 kind of social um, interaction changes and I like, knew it would so and there it, are people like like <clears throat> like Baron is a really good example like I'm getting along great with him we're like joking and playing games and stuff like that and like I I barely even talk to him online or oh, at yeah. conference or something like that and now like we're buds yeah you know and it's great uh, you know I, I'm sure a lot of people when they interacted with you when you were in the secretary position they might have felt like you were a roadblock because maybe they didn't have such a great idea and that was your job to be like well maybe your idea is oh, not fully formed listen, or whatever I was the association's asshole right but I you mean, know what I mean like seriously someone has to be right and I, I think a lot of uh, like Better? I am also really really direct yeah you know what I mean and that doesn't always go over well yeah yeah um, I know I shredded a couple of your things That's pretty okay. good but they were probably um, bad things. They were not bad. I didn't have a personal opinion. They were badly presented right. for the organization. But that's good, though, because so it, it, wasn't it, it about taught me. me a lesson <laughs> of like, well, okay, I know I have a good idea in my mind, but if I didn't articulate it or if I didn't understand the logistics that are needed for it, then I, then I deserve to get a no on it. You know, And it, it taught me like the next time, do a better job at presenting your idea. Right. And think it out. Well, better. and I think that there's a difference between presenting f something that's for the greater good mm -hmm. and something that's my idea. Right. You know what I mean? And yeah. those are, those, those have really different context. Mm -hmm. um, and so when you're representing a larger group, gray area changes, yep. things stop being black and white because they're not. And, 
yeah, so many things change when you're in charge of people of you know like what we say what we put out there yeah. and what i learned all the years in the organization by cleaning up the messes of the past like oh this is the best thing to say about our our group and our profession right now and then that's biting you in the ass in five years right yeah you know so what you say really matters what you what you i think we had this conversation what you um what you guarantee to people on behalf of the organization. Right. Like you never say, we're always going to be there exactly. for you. Because I, I remember the <laughs> exact like, no. instance we're talking about at <laughs> no. BMX, when BMX like, I got no. so enthusiastic no. about like, these are all the things that the ABP no. will do, but no. what I, what I, <laughs> My, yeah. So my idea was like, you know, okay, give people an exposure of what they, they can potentially do through yeah. the APP. And I totally get it. And that was a lesson to me, but I needed it for that maturity level because when I was younger, it was all like, I was so idealistic and like, you know, these are all the things the APP did for me. So obviously anybody else can get that yeah. benefit. No, we're not. You can't be all things to all people. Right. Right. But I mean, like yeah. it, it took somebody to, to teach me that. And like, at first I was probably like, oh my God. Bethra, nah, my nemesis. Oh yeah. But now it's just like, well, now I get it, and especially now that yeah. I'm on the other side of it. Oh, you really get it. Yeah. I think. See, this is the thing. My best revenge for people that buck me, <laughs> right? As a person, is now it's your turn. Right. Yeah. Seriously, it's the best yeah. karma. Yeah. Because because you know what? Like, I was never having any of those conversations because I didn't like someone. Right. I was standing up for the organization mm. because that was my job. Yeah. I don't really enjoy confrontation. I don't like people around hate. I'm like, actually, from childhood, I'm a bit of a people pleaser. Having people vilify me and attack me has been excruciating. I I, I, I yeah. have I, I have like internet PTSD to this day where things start getting dramatic on the internet. I just go, I just, tr I, I, stop looking right well you know <laughs> just just for the the, the lessons to, to future generations of piercers um like you have really made a choice to to kind of like not get super involved i'm sure you do some social media for your studio oh, but it. not personally because no. like you realize that like the internet doesn't make you a happier person it just makes you a more visible person and, and, and that, you a more that visible has target. problem yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and lots of people like so there's this dynamic. I can't remember what it's called, but it's it's about bullying. So when when people are children, the most likely person to get bullied is the outlier. Mm -hmm. Okay? And and when you grow up, actually one of the most likely people to get bullied are the more successful people. Because they because people want to tear them down. It's just right. a social it you can look it up. It's available in a million places mm -hmm. on Google. But the irony of that for me was that I was an outlier as a child because my parents um, were always moving. So I was never had a foundation of childhood relationships in school, which made me always the outlier. Sometimes I was in another country yeah. speaking another language. Like all of those things that mean that you're forever an outlier. We never lived in a house more than a year. All that gypsy shit. Um, and so I had n all of that bullying as a child. And then to grow up and be at the peak of a profession. Right. It's a bullseye. It's a bullseye. Right. And so then I was bullied there too. Mm -hmm. And and it was a very interesting kind of, and you know, that thing you have as a child where you just want people to love you mm -hmm. and care about you and be your friend. It's right. so basic. It's like that actress, oh, you really like me. Yeah. That was real. Like that was, you know, those are sort of these fundamental id you know really base level feelings mm -hmm. 
of I'm never going to be good enough for people to really care about me and love me and see me. Right. You know, like right. see me, yeah. see my contribution and appreciate it and 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 validate it on some level. And so not getting that in the profession, even though I was working like a dog, mm-hmm. you know, and... and uh, But you could probably see like male colleagues doing oh, yeah. less work and getting more praise. All the time. Still yeah. see it. Right. I still see it. Right. People who have been bullshitting for their way through for years yeah. that are like... Hailed as the best, right, right. blah blah. Yeah, yeah. I actually posted about that. I was like, you know what? And I've come to terms with it because you know what happens when you grow up is that you realize that if you create a different context for yourself and your achievements, that you'll always be satisfied. Mm-hmm. And so it's about competing with my own self. It's about being the best person I can be. And and I have a handful of cheerleaders, safe people who I can go to and say, was this a good job? And then their voice is what I listen to. Yeah, and people so, that you can trust. Yeah, it's like it's like okay, that's my cheerleader. Like yeah. I can talk to them, and they'll see me, and they'll see the thing about oh, it yay, is, um, you did like, a good job. Admittedly, I I sometimes like I still have that connection in my mind of when when people say Bethra, I'm expecting someone to immediately be like really really bit me in the ass, you know, oh, kind yeah. of thing. But now like I, I've been, like at UK I'm reinventing. I'm well, reinventing. No, at, yeah. at UK APP. <laughs> Your name came up so many times, like especially like Nikki and like all these mm-hmm. other people. And like, uh, I don't want anyone to forget like how many contributions you've made. Oh, yeah. And it's so many, like, especially like at BMX. I'm a gentle nudger. I'm like, ooh, yeah, yeah. I'm whispering in ears. Right. I'm like, ooh, this is how you handle this. Right, this right, right. right. And that. so oh, yeah. many people appreciate yeah. that. But then when you come back to the States and people like only see you as like that like villainous secretary of oh, like, I'm she told me no. I, oh, yeah. they do. People hate that. Yeah. And like, so the other part of being, um, yeah, I'm like the no teller, right? Yeah. So, so the other thing um, that I ended up in this position of was with conference where I was the person notifying speakers. Right. So, so cl- I never. So people had this weird idea where they thought you were the that one. I was the one that decisions. decided that their right. class wasn't even getting they picked. Didn't know that there was a board and there's a and curriculum even committee. Even with explaining like the yeah. curriculum, like I was not in charge. And I will tell you, even as president of the organization. Like, I've seen presidents of the organization who were, like, totalitarian, like, I'm just going to do what I want Mm because I'm the president, even though... And in my mind, every single thing, my job was to preside over a group. I was... I did that job. Like, like secretary is, like, like the chief facilitator. Right. And then when I was president, I was presiding. Mm -hmm. I wasn't dictating right. these jo- these decisions weren't mine alone. I was going by the group decision because that's what I believe. Mm-hmm. If you're going to have a group, and besides the group decision is always best yeah. because you can have an idea. And I've had this happen so many times. You know, you got your ego in it and you're like, this is my idea. It's the best fucking idea. And then you get into that group mm-hmm. and the idea you come up with as a, as a group makes the idea you walked in look like dog look like shit. like garbage, yeah. yeah. And if you're really paying attention, you know that. Yeah. You know, and so I, I absolutely did know that. I knew like, oh, the group, I can take this idea and then it's, we're going to walk out with a better idea. Right, because like you, you, can, know? you can take a seed, but yeah. it takes like, sometimes it takes all these all different these opinions different to grow into this tree and then, of and a good then it idea. Was something, and then it was something that you could stand behind and also working in a group, like, okay, so maybe you don't get your, your idea doesn't get met. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean you get to go around and say, well, that wasn't my idea. Right. And that was a terrible idea. Mm-hmm. And I wish, no, it's like, no, you tow the party line. Yeah. That's what we're doing as an organization. It right. doesn't matter what you're, because that's just so petty. Yeah. You yeah. know, like, oh, so your idea didn't make it or this wasn't your idea. It's the group. You're signed up for mm-hmm. the group. You 
you stand for the group. The way that I look at it is like, you know, I mean, at this point, I probably submitted 50 different ideas and maybe like if five of them got through. Yeah. Like, I feel really happy with those five, but it all like the no is beneficial to me because I know, like then I can start to think of like, well, okay, so why wasn't this well received? Where were the flaws? And like, you know, could maybe somebody else take the idea, give give the idea to a committee and then they maybe turn it into this yeah, whole other yeah, thing yeah. and it turns into or this Or maybe sometimes thing. it's not that the time just isn't right. right. You got to wait five years and then it's right. the best thing that ever happened. Yeah. yeah. You know, so I think that's just about working with people mm-hmm. and, and, um, and that's definitely something that I'm happy I learned how to do that. Mm-hmm. And like I said, I think I'm at this place where I have the maturity and the confidence to know who I am and what I've done. Yeah. And so I'm not necessarily looking for, I still want to do the best job I can. And I still isolate, like I have a goal. I have goals for myself yeah. this year. But recognition isn't your motivator. No, no. God, no. Yeah. And if it was, I'd be doomed. Right. I would have crumbled in 2008 when I, yeah. when I, you know, got all that controversy and I can't, ch- I can't make anybody appreciate me as a practitioner. I can't, make people see me for who I am. If people want to have a bad opinion of me, it's none of my business. Mm -hmm. You know, like, okay, think what you want for whatever reason you want. Like, so what? Yeah. And, and I've gotten really good at just kind of nothinging that. Like if, if people want to come on the offensive, Mm -hmm. I just, I hit the unfriend button or I just, right. I just forget right. about them. You because know, you're like, a realist. You realize I'm that the like, internet's not real whatever, life. Yeah. You know, yeah. and that, and that sometimes real life isn't real life and mm-hmm. people are going to go carry around like, you know, people will take a thread of something that's completely uninformed. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, and I've seen people do it with a lot of different, you know, like I referred to Mikayla as charm free and she was. But I saw people shred her too. Yeah. You know, here is a woman that worked really, really hard and it was like, oh, she was in a porno. Oh, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Who cares? Right. Well, I mean, you at, know, and at they this were point... doing that to belittle her. Yeah. And they do the same thing to me. Right. And that's fine. Yeah. Who cares? Right. You know, if people want to take some little sliver of information that that is poorly informed and they don't want to have the whole picture mm-hmm. and they want to dehumanize me in that way. Yeah. Like, whatever. I, I think people but, are um, always going to be threatened by, by a strong female presence. And it's just, it's, it's the same thing. It's like, you know, if, uh, if, if uh, a, a guy is a Lothario, he's a stud, you know, and if right. a, a woman is the same thing, she's a slut, you know, it's the yeah. same thing with power. Where, you know, if, if, if some guy gets out there and he's like really driving it and they're just like, oh yeah, he's a leader. And then a woman does it. She's like, oh, well, she's just pushy. And meh. Oh yeah. yeah. You know, the funny thing is I'm not that pushy. Yeah. I'm actually very non-confrontational. In fact, um, I do this thing where if someone wants to aggress with me about, like be aggressive with me about something, I... I don't engage in it mostly. Well, it seems like like you're you're more logic based because I've never heard you like just just like dump on a good idea just because of, of who presented it. No. It's always just like, well, I'm dumping on your idea because it's a bad idea. Yeah. Right. You know, here's the thing too, and this is something that I learned kind of early on, is I've worked with a lot of people I didn't personally like. Yeah, I've noticed that. And, and I've worked with a lot of people that I didn't, maybe I didn't like them in the start. So this is how it works. You get a board. And you have this idea about who they all are in the beginning. Because I've I survived a bunch of different boards, oh, yeah. right? So you get this idea. I like this person. I don't, I don't really like this person so much. Or I do like this person. And when you've worked with that group for two or three years, you're, my value in a colleague is inte- the integrity of 
you put your money where your mouth is. Mm -hmm. It's fine. If you want to come and talk and present a bunch of stuff, but then like, I can't get you on the phone. Right. You know, or if you're all talking, you're not actually doing the work. You can't even bother to vote by email. Mm Mm-hmm. When when we have a deadline and right. a project that needs mm-hmm. just all you have to do is respond via email. Yeah. You know, like that to me is a lack of integrity. People want the position. They want the elevation, but they don't even want to respond to emails. Mm-hmm. And I know how many extra emails the position provides. Yeah. So my opinion of someone based on their actual integrity as a professional when they get into that position really changes. There are lots of people, like I said, don't. Don't agree with their way of doing things. I wouldn't pierce the way they are, the way they do. I'd never pierce in their studio. But man, mm-hmm. when it comes to work, yeah, I well, have huge <clears throat> respect for them, and that's more important than just liking somebody. As an outsider, I always saw it as like, well, you know, this person seems like they just wanted to be seen as being on the board. Oh, lots of that. And then you know, this other person wanted to like be on the board because uh-huh. they wanted to enact change. So right. like, yeah, I could I could see that even from from an outsider's perspective. Oh, yeah. I can't imagine like. You know, you you saw the sausage get made. Oh, I did. And I'm sure it was pretty And it's not that much has changed, honestly. Like, there are people, there are a small percentage of the people that will put in the vast majority of the work. Right, yeah. And and a lot of times people come in with these sort of blustery ideas of what the the organization should do Mm -hmm. and literally deteriorate. I've seen that happen on committees. Yeah. Like, people are like, the organization needs to do this. And as soon as they're in a position to make that happen, Mm -hmm. you don't. That's you know, why. Like, when oh, I was, oh, what you have a personal life? I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that you have kids? Per- Whoa. Whoa. Yeah. Jeez. Nobody well, else for has me, that. like I, I tried to learn from that that lesson, and when I when I ran for the board, I was just like, you know what I want to do? I want to update a couple of brochures, and that's about it. Yeah. Like I'm not gonna yeah. try to change the world. Right. Yeah. But and I think too, like a lot of people have this idea. Oh, we're gonna push the association forward, but they don't understand. You have to do the maintenance right first. Right, yeah. Like yeah. if you're not answering your emails mm-hmm. to deal with the, the employee that works for the association yeah. or all of the little, very unlovely, mm-hmm. like it's sort of like doing the dishes at your house. Right. Yeah, it's the least fun thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you don't Nobody do wants the dishes to wash at socks. your house, it's disgusting. Yeah. And that's yeah. how an organization is. Right. If you don't do those maintenance things, nobody eats. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and we've seen what happens to the organization when those maintenance things don't get handled. So. Yeah. You know, it's a very un at, at its core. It's a very unglamorous. Yeah, it's not sexy. No, it's not it's sexy, but it's but that. it's great. And it's like, you know, I, I haven't changed the world. You know, I haven't done yeah. as much work as a lot of other people. But like this, the little things if that I've been able to do what make you me feel say great. You're enough. Yeah, you, that's the thing is it, where people get sideways is when they take on a lot of projects and then hijack them. Yeah. Like, oh, this project is mine. And then mm-hmm. you don't hear from them for six right. months. Right, and it never that's gets done. Right. it never yeah. gets done. That's yeah, that's why, like, when I went to conference, like, every like Jeff was announcing Member Leap and these huge initiatives. Oh. And I was just like, hey, I updated the aftercare. Yeah. And I took soap out of it. Like, mission hey, accomplished. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. That's the thing. That's all yeah. I wanted to do. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, so I think it, that's, there's so much to be said for that. Yeah. 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 Well, uh, you know, so... You know, if nobody ever says it, you know, I'll say thanks because, you know, you formed the industry that, like, I make my living off of. I, uh, I just showed up. Okay, well, you were, you were <laughs> yeah, but you showed up. Like, I you did. Know, a lot of people just didn't show up. I did, up, you know? I showed and, up. Like, you didn't just show up, you showed up and you kept showing up. Yeah. You know, yeah. like, well, you could have walked I away did. at any point. Well, I'm still showing up. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. and now you're at this event yeah. that I'm like, I'm totally digging. And, and like, my, so my many people here light, are baby. like. My yoke is light, My yoke is light. I got to see, 
I got to see Saturn through a telescope last that night. Rad? How crazy is that? I got to see you know? a blue heron through a binoculars. Yeah, see? I'm like, that's that's really like, you know, it, it's making an impact, yeah, you know? And it's it like, is. sure, we can talk about piercings and we can talk about all that stuff. We're doing all that education stuff. Too. Right, yeah we're, yeah, we're doing classes, yeah. but... We're like, it's community building. That, yeah, that's is. kind of it missing is. from Vegas. Now it's this, this monster of a conference I in Vegas. I I leave there. I don't even go to class there. I teach my classes. I do sh- commerce. Um, and I leave so exhausted. Yeah. I can't do it. Yeah. I, and the, the irony is I have so much heavy lifting with this event. Right. Like, it, it is Cause physically. Because it's not you and a team. It's just you. It's me. Well, people you, you show and, up you to and people help. helping, sure. But it's, it's definitely. But it, like you're the you're the the planner am, and the executor. I am the ringleader. Right. It is labor wise the hardest I've probably ever worked for the association. Yep. And it's definitely harder than I work in Vegas. But it's probably really fulfilling. But at the end of it, I'm not tired. Yeah. You know, I'm not. I don't feel mentally exhausted. I feel good. I feel happy. I feel like. Like I said, it's light. It's it's hard work, but it feels good. Right. And I, I think, like I said, I'm at that place where um, I'm reinventing my dynamic with the organization, and I've been allowed to do that. And so that does make me feel really valued. I feel very valued by the organization. And, and, and I kind of also knew that, like, you know, when I made the decision to step down, I was like, how do I... I love this organization. I still have no problem doing the work. I want to still work. What does that look like? Yeah. What does that look like if I'm being honest with myself, if I'm being honest with my colleagues, and if I'm being true to my vision, and and true and really bringing the organiz- the community forward? What mm-hmm. is the gap? Mm-hmm. What are we missing? Right. What can I feel that we're missing? See, that's great because you have the perspective to even think I do. that way. I do. Yeah. But I've always been a big picture thinker. Yeah. That's what allowed me to have that idea of like. Let's get everybody involved and right. let them make their own organization. A communal like, thing and all not of just those like, things, like you what, know. what is the, what is the best thing we can do for the greater good? Right. You right. know what I mean? Like yeah. and 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 to be fair like my childhood dynamic set me up for a lot of particular kinds of behaviors. Like I was sort of destined to die. So um and not being facetious, like seriously. Um the parameters that I was provided with early uh, gave me inherent ability to manipulate in potentially bad ways mm-hmm. so i i've joked with people who are close and understand my history with um the idea that it's the only thing you can do with that knowledge is use it for the greater good and so a lot of that like scheming mm-hmm. kind of manipulative mentality that i was sort of formed through that chaotic childhood for survival then became how can i how can i make this amazing nonprofit survive with great power how comes great I, responsibility right like and, and that was the scheming yeah. it was like how can i how can i make this organization wonderful right. and that was the goal and so when you you set even your own negative traits in the best possible direction they also become assets and mm-hmm. good you know so it was like so now we call it team building and community building but i whispered in a lot of ears yeah and a lot of very kind of machiavellian like with the uk association like they had some bumps in the beginning mm-hmm. and i was at nicole's ear like yeah. how about yeah. like this is a particular kind of person you're dealing with but again it's because Try you it had that perspective oh, and, yeah. you, and you knew how yeah, to yeah. apply it you know it, yeah. you weren't just like guessing and picking the people no you it was it was deal with this person like this right. you'll have a good result yeah 
Yeah, but yeah. that's great. But all of that's like hardcore. That's like, yeah. like having that information is some creepy. That's creepy. Yeah, no, it is. Yeah, it's like it's like this like it's like a supervillain emeritus oh, it is. position. It is. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I often feel like a supervillain. Yeah. But like I said, so long as you're using the only difference between a supervillain and a superhero is your is your goal. Yeah. And my That's goal, great. and I'm not a superhero, obviously. Well, yeah, but, but, but I mean, you know what yeah. I mean. It's like it's like it's fine to have these sort of creepier abilities, mm-hmm. but it's what's important is what you're you, applying them for good. I am. I'm yeah. using that skill for yeah. good. Yeah, to where it's now, it's just a good skill. Yeah, it's called helping people. Manage. Yeah, but it's great because you can yeah. actually get stuff done. Like I you're do. one of the few people I know that can like think of a plan mm-hmm. and fully execute it and it oh, actually comes is... out the way you thought it was going to yeah. come out or better or what, right or whatever right. it comes out still one way or the other yeah. it happens that's yeah. not an easy thing right i can imagine like yeah. if camp was proposed through like a community <laughs> and this and that person and it's like what no. what kind of like a mess would that force have been? of will right you know you know how many things in this world are done through force of will yeah 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 well, this is one of them. It's Empires great. Empires are built on a force of will. It's yeah. true. Yeah. All great, all all people of greatness of any kind. Yeah. Have a powerful will. Yeah. Well, you did a good job. Man, I try. Yeah. Well. I feel good about myself. You should. Life. You re- yeah. especially at this event. You should feel awesome about I it. I love it. It's great. I love yeah. this thing. Cool. Well, I'll be back next year. Thanks for interviewing me. It was fun. Yeah, I liked it too. This was my number one like get interview. Like if I was like if I'm only going to interview one person <laughs> at camp, it's got to be Bethra. Awesome. Yes. Yeah. Well, I hope I don't disappoint you. No, no, it'll be great. <laughs>that was a fun one for me I uh, hope you liked it I've got a bunch of other interviews I think I have like nine more weeks worth of interviews ready to go so I you know I'll at least put out nine more shows before I get bored of this and give up on it uh, I did a bunch of interviews at the BMX net conference in Germany too some good ones there Brian Skelly and just a, a bunch of really cool people so uh, next week I'm not really sure what I'll have next week uh, maybe something from uh, Germany, maybe something from the States, maybe I'll just make something up and record myself playing video games for an hour. Uh, but either way, I'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning in. For more information about the show, visit piercingwizardpodcast.com or like Piercing Wizard Podcast on Facebook. For more info about your host, visit precisionbodyarts.com or search Ryan PBA on Facebook, Instagram, and Tumblr. If you enjoy the show, you can subscribe on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play. Music by Benny B. Blanco. Show copyright 2017, Precision Body Arts, LLC. All rights reserved.